God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, as much as we have planned, I pray that you would just blow out our plans, that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as we try to approach the book of Revelation, um, we're going to try to, I'm going to try to teach it as if, um, as it is, right? I'm going to try to teach it just as the book is. When you get into the book of Revelation, you can get into a lot of speculation. Now, I'm generally going to stay away from speculation, though I do like speculation. I know that some people don't do well with speculation, right? So generally, I'm going to stay away from speculation, though I will um, keep the liberty to speculate a little here and there. Amen? How many of you guys just wanted speculation during the whole book of Revelation? You're like, that's what I'm here for, to speculate that this person is the Antichrist and that person's the Antichrist, and this is exactly where the sky is going to be split and when Jesus is returning. Some of that we will speculate, but generally we're just going to teach it as it is because the book of Revelation is about what? Jesus and the unveiling of him, the revelation of who Jesus is. So Revelation 1 Verses 4 through 9. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits from his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There's a lot there in those first paragraphs, um, much of which we will address later because you get to those first several sentences and you can start to build a sermon just upon the first several sentences. And um, I think the book of Revelation will explain much of what we just read as we continue. But John here is pointing adoration to Jesus. And then he begins to describe him. So today we are going to focus on verses 9 through probably... 14. I originally thought 20, but I don't think we'll get to all that today. So 9 through about 14. And what we will learn over the next two weeks is this. Serving Christ will involve suffering. Like this is the book of Revelation. It's supposed to be about Jesus, not me suffering. 
Serving Christ will involve suffering, but serving Christ will also involve serving, us doing something, us taking action. The person of Christ should cause wonder and action. We're going to learn that too. And then the power of Jesus should overwhelm us and inspire us. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on those two or three ideas. So the first point, if you're taking notes, which we should, um, serving Christ involves suffering. How many of you guys love that idea that serving Christ involves suffering? What's really unique is the apostles seemed to have grown into the understanding that when you become a Christian, you will suffer. It was just becoming a Christian meant suffering was going to happen. In the American church, at least, within our church culture, what we think is if we become a Christian, hopefully we don't have to suffer. Maybe we will never suffer. We don't put becoming a Christian and suffering in the same category. We say, let's become a Christian and then avoid it. Let's become a Christian and do everything we can to skip around it. But if we serve Christ, suffering will take place. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The apostle John has been faithful to the calling that God has placed in his life. Now the subliminal idea that we all have is that if we serve Christ, then things in our life will become easier. Yet, several times in the book of Revelation, things are not depicted as easier for the believer. We subliminally think that when we become a Christian, that life will be easier. You ever been, <laughs> I remember driving with people in there at the store looking for a parking spot and then someone backs out. And then they're like, that's right living. And then you're going to pull into the first spot. Anyone ever been there, done that? You think that God opened up the parking spot for you because you're a believer and you've been listening to Air One. Anyone ever felt like God opened up a parking spot for them? And they're just like, I'm blessed and highly favored. See, won't he do it? See, that's what we end up thinking about the Christian life is, that when we receive Jesus, that we're going to have some kind of suffering. You know, there's going to be loss. But there's going to be a lot of suffering. There's a sacrifice that comes with it. And this is talked about several times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, 9 says this. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. So people who had been slain, right? Killed. Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Suffering. Suffering came 
You're like, the elders are thinking right now, this is how you grow a church. Good job, Joey. <laughs> Good job, buddy. We're, we will always preach God's word. Amen. And I believe if we start tickling people's ears, it's no longer God's church. It's our church, and our church cannot stand up against anything. So we will preach God's word, and God will grow the church. Amen? And if he doesn't grow the church, then he's going to have Gideon's army that's going to be willing to go suffer for his name's sake. Come on, somebody. So when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So because they were following Jesus, because of their testimony in Christ, they were killed. Doesn't sound like prosperity to me. It's a different kind of prosperity, amen? Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So this dragon was enraged, and it went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. So who's, who's the offspring? It tells us right here. The offspring was those who keep God's command and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So there's coming a time, and we're living in a time, where... Those who hold fast to Jesus are being persecuted and slain and murdered and set aside. Those who follow God will face suffering. Revelation 20, verse 4. I saw the throne, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I saw souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Serving Christ involves suffering. If we are serving Christ, we will be made fun of, we will be exiled, we will be attacked, we will be beaten up, we will be slaughtered, we will be beheaded, we will be persecuted. We will not be in the in-groups of life. People will not prefer us. And those aren't limited to how we will suffer, right? Serving Christ will involve suffering. I had a friend about five years ago asked me, he said, Joey, I recognize that scripture says those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. He said, but I'm never persecuted. People love me. People love to be around me. They enjoy my presence. And I said, well, have you shared the gospel with them? He said, no. That's why you haven't been persecuted. That's why they love you. Because you're just affirming their ways. Well, I don't tell them that the things that they're doing is okay. You're not telling them it's not okay. You're not telling them the truth, are you? 
So our silence is affirmation. You recognize that? So he wasn't persecuted because he wasn't sharing the gospel. Now, how did the world treat John for serving Jesus? They sent him to an island, Patmos, to die alone, to die away from friends and family members. The idea of Patmos was to send the worst of the worst criminals there. John was there for being a criminal because he was sold out to Christ. He believed solely in Jesus Christ as the only way. And he was willing to preach it and stand up against the world and their belief. He realized how valuable every human being was to Jesus. And he was willing to share the truth to them. We are fearful. We talked about this several weeks ago at the end of Galatians. We don't bring up God's name. We don't bring up Jesus Christ's name of Nazareth because we're too fearful of man. We are fearful of the things that they might think about us because what Paul said was what? He said, the only reason you're getting circumcised is because you want to be in the in-groups with the Pharisees. You didn't do it because God told you to do it. You did it because you were fearful of the opinion of man. Many of us are not um, sharing the good news of Jesus because we're fearful of man. I'm included in that. And the other night, Macy and I were taking a walk. And while we were taking this walk, didn't know this guy's name. I remember his initials were DD. So I'm just like, okay, well, that's all I rem- remember about him. And um, wasn't going to say anything about his name. So he reintroduced himself and... Um, We were talking to him, and then for an hour, he shared with us that he just lost his wife the year before, and he walked us through, as Jewel was sharing earlier, the medical maze, just when people are sick, and you're trying to figure out, what should I do, or what should I not do, and he's trying to figure all these things out, and he's just brokenhearted of, he regrets this, or he regrets that, and I'm thinking... Do I really want to bring up Jesus to him? Do I want to do it? My heart's broken for him. But there's this frustration. There's this fear of man. Not sure why, but there's this fear of man that you say, well, what's he going to think about me? I see this guy every day. So then I finally said, no, I'm standing up for Christ. And the only way that this man is going to be set free is if he knows Jesus. No words that I can share with him, no empathy, no nothing that I give this man can fix the gaping hole in his life other than the blood of Jesus. I sat there, how am I going to do this? I said, well, are you a religious man? He said, well, are you a minister? I said, I am. Then he just talked about his church experience. And we were able to give him some encouragement. And hope, right? But there's this frustration that we, we all can face. And I'm going to be like the apostles. Where they're willing to be um, like a broken horse. That's willing just to go straight in to the battle. 
without fear. I want to be a broken horse. And what I mean by broken horse is not a, not a horse that doesn't know anything. A horse, a horse that's willing to listen to the master even though bullets are flying at him. A really good broken horse will run into battle with spears, with bullets, with grenades. And this horse will listen to its master with trust. I want to be a broken horse. I want to be the broken horse that when D.D., my neighbor up the street, is venting and expressing his heart that I'm like, yes, God, like I see it, I'm broken. I will share the good news of Jesus no matter what. I'm not afraid of whether I get punched in the face, kicked out, whether the guy comes in toilet papers my house. I'm, a, I'm not afraid of whether he posts slander on Facebook gives me flat tires or beats me up or stones me because I'm broken for you, God. How many of you guys want to be a broken horse for God today? I want to be a broken horse. So John was kicked out to this island to die alone because he was the worst of worst criminals. And what they would do on this island is they would work these um, prisoners with hard labor constantly with a whip behind them each step of the way. Now, many of the people said that um, on Patmos there was, you know, rock work that they were doing. They were just, Mechanicsburg sand and gravel was there and they were doing all the labor by hand. So, you know, many people say that there was a quarry other people said there was just other slave labor that they were participating in, but there was never a break. And not only was there really never a break, they were underfed. And not only were they underfed, they didn't much, get much sleep. And not only did they get, not get much sleep, their bed was on the ground, and they had no covering. When we think of the Christian walk, we don't think of the sacrifice that it might take for you and I. Uh, story in Luke says, look, hey, if you're going to build a tower, you better consider your resources before you build it. Because if you get only past the foundation, then everyone's going to make fun of you and you're never going to be able to have a sound building. And then if you're going to go to war and you have 10,000 men and then those you're going against have 30,000 men, you better send out a delegation because 10,000 men are not going to beat 30,000 men. And what Jesus then says is, before you give your life to me, you better consider the cost because he requires everything. Jesus requires everything. A broken horse. You're not a broken horse if you say, hey, I'm only going to go to the homecoming parades and trot around and carry a float. A broken horse is willing to go into battle trusting the person who's leading them. And that's what John was willing to do. It was through all of this suffering that John faced on the island of Patmos 
through all the suffering, right, he still served Jesus. And through all of this, John received such powerful revelation about the future. See, it was through John's suffering. It was through John standing up for Christ. It was through John going through something that he received revelation. Because many of us, we say, man, I, how many of you guys would love, love to have the revelation surpassing understanding that the Apostle Paul had? Any of you guys in here? I would. How many of you guys would like to have the revelation that John had? I would. You'd be crazy not to say that. You're lying to, your heart is deceiving you if you're saying you wouldn't. But how many of you guys want to be blinded for three days, not knowing if you'll ever have sight again? How many of you guys want to be cast out to an island? As a slave, not many of us. I don't think any of us. I don't want that. See, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. I want the deep, deep revelations, and I never, I want to be so anointed and so called and so protected by God that I face no suffering. But that thought is not biblical, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. It's not biblical. So um, it was through all this that John still served Jesus, and it was through all this that John received such powerful Revelation about the future. Galatians 6 says this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul experienced beating. Paul experienced persecution. So let's look at what John said in verse 9 again. I, John, your brother and companion... In the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are our in ours in Jesus. John didn't identify as an apostle as he could have. John was an apostle. That's not that's not what he the position he took. The position that John took and where John identified is he said, He is your brother and companion in suffering. Brother and companion in suffering. See, y'all really wanted the book of Revelation just to be about speculation, didn't you? You were coming in here today saying, I hope he's going to get something juicy about seven candlesticks and the seven this and the seven that and he's going to exp- he's 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 going to here in a few months he's going to expose who the antichrist is and then we can point it out on facebook y'all didn't think we were going to talk about suffering you suffering today and me suffering today did did you see this whole suffering stuff is boring i don't want to talk about suffering i want to talk about speculation i want to talk about why the government is evil I want to talk about why I want to talk about why our leaders are horrible. I want to speculate. I want to speculate. I want to speculate. I want to speculate. I do think that we have a generation that's speculating so much that they're missing the point. If we speculate more than we share the good news of Jesus, we are deceived. If we speculate more than we pray, we are deceived. Amen.
we would see a different world. We would see a different America. We would see a different Champaign, Madison, Franklin, uh, Union, Logan, Miami counties. Did I miss one? Clark, where I live. <laughs> Clark County's perfect. We would see different, we would see such different change if we would just pray more than we speculated. If we would share the good news of Jesus more than we speculated. Nevertheless, John knew that there is a companionship in suffering with Christ. Jesus was crucified. His brother James was martyred. Peter and John, dead. So John realized as a believer, we are to expect to suffer. I hate this. I don't want to preach it. I wish it wasn't true. But it is. And we must see it. And we must deal with it. Sure, there is pain and suffering, but there is also a privilege in suffering. John, like others, received their highest understanding or revelation through trials. There is a purpose in suffering. And there's no greater understanding of there being purpose in suffering than Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Amen? There was purpose in his suffering. And if there was purpose in his suffering, there's purpose in our suffering. So God was not surprised when John was taken to Patmos. It was no accident either. Likewise, when we face hard times, God isn't surprised and God isn't thrown off of his throne. God isn't surprised by what you're going through today. Will you receive that? Many of us, if not all of us, are going through something. Bare minimum, a lot of people are just worried about gas prices and their retirement. God is not surprised by that problem. Others of us in here are going through relationship issues. God is not surprised by your problem. God is not thrown off his throne because of your problem. Maybe there's addiction in here. God is not surprised and God sees you. Maybe there's anger or unforgiveness in here. God is not surprised and God is not off his throne. Amen? God sees you today. Let that strike your heart. So there's no greater purpose in suffering than Jesus on the cross. Yet for us, we discover purpose as we remain in him. See, God was not surprised when John was taken to yeah, Patmos. It was no accident. Likewise, when we face hard times, God isn't surprised or thrown off his throne. He has a plan. We go through it for Christ. We go through it in Christ. And we go through it with Christ. As we are broken, God is with us. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will do the same for you and I. He will be with us. But we must remember this. 2 Timothy 3.12 All those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. 
all of us who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now, I don't want us to become overthinkers and say, well, why haven't I been punched in my face? Well, I don't know. Persecution happens in many forms, right? But if you're not sharing the gospel, that's why you haven't been persecuted. If you're not bringing up the name of Jesus, um, you're not being persecuted. One person that I'm mentoring, discipling, um, they said they need to do a better job representing God when they're doing their interviews. And I said, oh yeah, well, don't represent God in your interviews. Who's your God? Right? I said, when you do your interviews for sports, represent Jesus. Represent Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the only way to heaven. And they said, yeah, you're right. I need to represent Jesus. If we represent Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's when we're going to be persecuted. Preach him. So, as we are persecuted, though, what must happen? We must persevere. As we are persevering, though, we become mature and complete in Christ. You guys should remember this from James. James 1.4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God has a purpose in the trials and the challenges that we're going through. He says, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be persecuted. But as you're persecuted, I'm making you mature and complete. So just persevere through it. Don't give up. Remain in him. Remain with him. One author says this, being a witness to all of God's word and staying faithful in our testimony to Jesus will cost us. We may suffer unjustly, When that happens, remember what Jesus said. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And you can find that reference in John 15. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute you and I. So the idea is if we're not being persecuted, we're not doing it right. But if we are being persecuted, it means we're headed in the right direction. Amen? And through our persecution, through our hard times, we are to still serve the church. We're supposed to have eyes outward. Often what happens is when we start to get beat up or persecuted, we start to shrink in and we start to just worry about us and our kingdoms and everything that we have to accomplish. But when we are persecuted, when hard times come because of the gospel, we are to serve the church. Verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Other versions say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now verse 11, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, um, Thyteria, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So here, John says, 
that on the Lord's day. So this was likely an appointed day that the culture had defined. Probably the first day of the week, so this is likely Sunday. But this isn't um, the day of the Lord that we will discuss later in the book of Revelation. So this is just a day that's likely appointed by culture as Sunday, the first day of the week. So the first day of the week, John begins to have this revelation. What was unique about this was John was in the spirit. And um, God revealed to him who he was. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So John is helping us recognize that God was moving him powerfully. So when I got to this point, I thought to myself, man, should I spend three weeks about talking about being in the Spirit? And then you start saying, man, the book of Revelation could take us like five years to get through. And y'all got really antsy through the book of Galatians. <laughs> so John was having this powerful encounter with the Spirit of God. He was in the Spirit, meaning God was doing something special in him. Um, God was doing something unique. So what we need to note, though, is that all prophecy and revelation comes from God. It's not a man thing. So what John is receiving is coming from God. It wasn't from him. Things that are unknown and unknowable to man is revealed by the Holy Spirit, not your power. In Scripture, this was often through some kind of transportation physically or in a vision through imagery. So John is having this encounter, and God is somehow taking him somewhere. Paul even talked about the third heaven, right? So there's something that the Spirit is doing special. And where we get confused sometimes is the church. We, I have, been so emotionally tied to something that I felt like needed to happen that I thought it was God's Spirit. Anyone else ever been there? You just get so convinced because you become so infatuated with, with the thought of it. You get so stuck on it that you say, that must be God's spirit. So then you go in God's name, which was actually your name, and then you make a mess of something. Being in the spirit is something that someone asked me once. They said, how do you hear God's voice? Have you ever heard the audible voice of God? And I've said, no. But the audible or the voice of God speaks to me much louder than a voice. It always goes back to his word. So likewise, John just wasn't sitting there. John wasn't just sitting there saying, ooh, this thought came to my mind, and I'm moved by the Spirit because this thought came to my mind. I'm just going to write it down. No, God was doing something special. God was transporting him somewhere. So be careful with, be careful with when you think that God is speaking to you, right? Um, either way, that was kind of a, that was free. John was simply saying that the words that come next are not even close to from him. He is describing what he sees with imagery. And the revelation that he was seeing was to be sent to the seven churches. These churches were certainly churches that were near and dear to the heart of God. They were actual historical churches in Asia. Now, this is where 
it gets a little bit blurry. This is where I'm not going to come to you with this and be a matter of fact. Some people in here in the book of Revelation might be a matter of fact with their perspective of this. But this is, for me, is where um, I do not believe that this is the hill for me to die on today, so I'm not going to. Some people see the seven churches not only as seven actual churches in Asia, but also as seven different eras or prophetic times. So there's a, I believe there's a picture. If we have that, we can pull that up. You know, so for example, Ephesus, yeah, Ephesus, you would say, you know, they would say that the first church that was spoken to Ephesus would be out of the era of A.D. 31 through 100. So the letter written to Ephesus, that era of time was, is done, right? And, you know, essentially the people during that time, they were, I didn't make this chart desirable, they were lovely. The complaint against them is they lost their first love, um, the compliment, they um, hate deeds of the Nicolaitans, and then their promised reward was the tree of life. So that era was what some people believe the seven church letters were written to. We're not going to go through all these because right after, or chapter two, we're going to get into these letters. I might bring this chart back up. So then Smyrna, Pergamos, um, Thyteria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So what they would suggest is that we are in the Laodicean time frame within um, the Revelation 7 churches. So that would suggest that the meaning of the name is judging of the people or just of people. Um, the complaint would be we're lukewarm experience, spiritually poor, blind and naked. The compliment, none. And then the promised reward, sit with Christ on his throne, sup with Christ. So some people would interpret that as we are in that era. Now, when I look at that, I say, I see, I truly see a lukewarm church. I see a global lukewarm church. I see an American lukewarm church. I see a local lukewarm church. And I can even see a lukewarm pastor. There's moments where I feel lukewarm because I'm standing there with D.D. And I don't even know if I want to bring up his name. That's lukewarm, isn't it? I brought up his name and I'm wrestling through it. So I can see, I can see where, you know, some people would believe that. I'm not ready to die on that hill to say that that's how we should interpret the seven churches. So I'm not here to completely subscribe to that. Though... Right at the moment, I don't think I, ha I can refute that either. I'd much rather, though, interpret this as a heart condition of different people who are alive today. As the number seven means complete or perfect, we're going to see the number seven a lot of times throughout the book of Revelation. It means complete or perfect. I believe that God is talking to the complete church, the whole church, the world church, a generation of churches, right? Which would all be those alive and then how they respond to God. But we will discover more about that over the next coming weeks. My main point in this section is this, is God was using John to write a letter to help benefit the church. While John was 
exiled while John was alone, away from family, by himself, left for dead. God was using him in his last hours, in his weakest moment, to encourage the church. Amen? We are not to recluse and hold on to life when things don't go well. When we receive persecution, when life doesn't go our way, our mission is to still further God's kingdom. And that's what John was setting the example of. Through John's suffering, God met him and God used him to serve the church. And through God's suffering, God will meet you and God will use you to serve the church. So serving Christ will involve suffering and serving Christ will, it sounds funny, right? Serving Christ will involve serving. Serving Christ will actually involve serving. The people of Christ, yeah, so verse 12, I turn around and see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. John turned around in this vision, in this revelation. And while he turned around, um, he turned to see who was speaking to him. And what he saw was a person in the middle of seven golden lampstands. Could you imagine that vision? That'd be really cool, wouldn't it? Just to see this imagery. The seven golden lampstands, according to Scripture, are the seven churches. We see that just later on in this chapter, Revelation 1.20, it says this, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels. Of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, lampstands are what? The seven churches. But lampstands are mentioned often throughout Scripture. And um, I'm just going to read a little bit out of Exodus. Exodus 37, Moses talks about them. Um, they made the lampstands of pure gold. They hammered out its base and shaft and made its uh, flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches extended from the side of the lampstands, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups sh uh, shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for the six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand were four cups shaped like almond flowers. Yep, I read that. And one bud was under the first pair of the branches extending from the lampstand. A second bud under the second pair. And the third bud under the third pair. Six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all one piece with the lampstand. Hammered out of pure gold. They made its seven lamps, as well its wick tr uh, trimmers and trays of pure gold. They made the lampstand and all its accessories from one talent of pure gold. So going back to the tabernacle. Holy of holies. 
you guys should remember, several years ago, we went through the book of Exodus, and we talked much about this. Lampstands are found all throughout Scripture. And it's pointing to God's church. So what lampstands would do is they would hold small oil lamps, and from them would come out God's light. God's light would go out into a dark world and bring light. God's light would come out and go out and bring light to the world. There's this idea that God's light, God's the flame, we are the lampstand, and his light brings light to the darkness. See, this is the same assignment in the New Testament that God brings to you and I. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to you. Sorry, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the seven lampstands are the seven churches that are those who carry God's light into the world. So as we suffer, what are we also to do? Serve. As we suffer, we are still to bring light to the world. Amen? Scary. And sometimes that can be scary. How many of you guys think, just honestly, we try to practice, I've been vulnerable to say that it was even scary for me to share. It's scary every time because there's always a greater risk. How many of you guys have been scared to share the good news of Jesus ever with someone? We're scared. But there's good news, and the book of Revelation talks about it. And sometimes it can be scary. But there was a person in the middle of the lampstands. Verse 13, Revelation 1. And among the lampstands was someone like a man. The person that he saw was Jesus. It's important that we recognize his title, like a son of man. And it's also important that we recognize his location in the middle of the church. Jesus often goes by the title Son of Man, and it occurs 80 times, over 80 times in the New Testament. Jesus seemed to love his title, though. He loved his title as it identified him with his heavenly Father and the one who is also man and will receive eternal glory. Book of Daniel shares about it. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every languages or every language worshiped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this eternal king 
who has been given authority, glory, and sovereign power is among the seven churches. Jesus is among the seven churches. What does that mean? Jesus is amongst us today. Jesus is in the middle of this church. Jesus is in the middle of America and its crisis. Jesus is in the middle of the world and its crisis. Jesus is in the middle of your storm that you feel like you're the only one that's ever faced it. Jesus is in the middle of it. Amen? Jesus is among us. Jesus is among you. Jesus knows what you're going through, and he is with us. Jesus is watching over us, and Jesus is watching over his churches. And the best part of it is this, is even though we fail, he will not fail us. Amen? Amen? So today, just to wrap it up, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. We get to identify with Christ in suffering, just not as him as a savior. If he suffered, we will suffer. And as we suffer, as we suffer, we are still to serve his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are in the middle of your seven churches, that you are in the middle bringing light and giving light you are not a far-off God. Father, you are right in the middle of our mess today. I pray that we would look to you, that we would yield to you, that we would be broken like a horse to trust you. Father, I thank you that your scripture promises that as we read the words, that as we hear the words and we obey the words of revelation, there will be a blessing. So I pray that today, Father, there will be a blessing. I pray today, Father, that those who are far off would give their life to Christ. Father, those who have questions about who you are, that they'd be willing to come speak to us after church about them or ask a friend. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.